Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Cindy Paulson is a restaurateur, chef, and book author in the Napa Valley. Cindy, thank you so much for taking just a few minutes to chat with me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. I know. This is going to be great because you have such a fantastic story and you're such an amazing woman and you've done so much for the Napa Valley I can't wait to tell everybody about you. So, oh well, thank you. <laughs> Let's, You're making me blush. <laughs> well, you should blush. Uh, you are just um, incredible. So, uh, you were born in Minneapolis. Your father had a potato chip company. So, I've got to ask do you: Do you like potato chips today? I think I love them. They're in my blood. <laughs> Probably my one and only junk food that I eat. Although I've never even considered them junk food. I think they're, you know, they're just potatoes and salt if you get exactly. the pure one. Exactly. They're um, a vegetable, right? And Yeah, and they're crispy. Yeah. So, I mean, what's wrong with that? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. <laughs> we make fresh ones from scratch at work all the time. And they just taste so different. And there's plenty of really good store-bought ones, you know, but I just love potato chips. I do too, but I figured if your father had a potato chip company, you might have overdosed on potato chips and perhaps they lost their luster. Not yet, but I must say I miss the factory because one of my favorite memories is going into the plant and walking up. They come out of a deep fat fryer that's ginormous and then they tumble down onto a conveyor belt to go up to packaging and at that tumbling spot they get salted and they're probably about 375 degrees and you reach your hands in and grab them and start coming down and grab them and oh my god they're so good screaming hot and heavily salted and if that's a childhood memory I'll never forget. Oh my god. I love I love anything potato, and then you know salt, you know, just makes it that much better, right? Yep. <laughs> what I also found interesting was while you were growing up and going to school, at the age of thirteen, you ran your own catering company. Why did you want to do this? <laughs> well, it started out, you know, in our family, you had to do something. You couldn't just sit around, and. Um, I started babysitting when I was about 12. The neighbors had five kids, and the oldest one was seven, and I got 50 cents an hour. Oh, wow. And that wasn't very rewarding, to be honest. It was pretty exhausting. And a lady down the street um, knew that I was taking cooking classes on the side. Mom's idea of keeping us out of trouble was to keep us busy, so she had me in cooking classes because I'd shown a little interest in it and dance classes and photography classes and the cooking classes were going really well I was loving it and the lady down the street was having a party and she wanted um, someone to help her and she paid me um, five dollars an hour 
Oh, wow. And that was the beginning to go from 50 cents an hour and five kids to $5 an hour and getting to cook. And it started that little business in the neighborhood. And, you know, I did funerals. I did simple stuff, you know, egg salad, deviled eggs, just, you know, simple American things in the neighborhood. But I think it was a nice help for people. And, you know, they'd do the shopping and I'd come over and prep things and I grew up in one of those households where everything was made from scratch. And we were, if you didn't help mom make dinner, then you had to do the dishes. And so I always went in the kitchen and helped her make dinner. I'm not going to dwell on your um, childhood, I promise. I was also surprised to learn that you received a certificate in cooking before you graduated from high school. That's what I meant. My parents kept this. It was the 60s. They were terrified I was going to get into drugs and rock and roll. Oh, right. Wild sex. So they just kept me busy. And and you you stayed busy and, and really got that food bug, you know, from birth. <laughs> yeah, I think I practically did. Well, it was one way I could make my father happy. He was from the old country, he always said. And um, he didn't like store-bought presents. He wanted homemade presents. And being the youngest, my older siblings could draw and paint and play piano better than me. So I cooked for him. Because you always can win somebody over with with a great meal. And, you know, it's a warm and fuzzy feeling when you, have, when you enjoy something great. Fast forward, you went to the University of Wisconsin. You went to Cordon Bleu. You worked in Chicago at the Pump Room. And when I learned about the pump room, it sounded like you might have a story or two to share. It was pretty fun. It was um, in the 70s when Rich Melman was managing it. He has a company called Let Us Entertain You. Oh, right. And he had had a chef there, Gavino Sotolina, who I was working at someplace else, and I'd actually done the trial. And Gavino said, go with Rich, I'm going to go there next month. And so I went to Rich, and Rich hired me, and... I worked at the pump room for about two and a half years. It was really fun because people like Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. came in. It was a, a really cool place. And it was a great experience because we worked side by side with the chef. And so I learned a lot of good technique and flavor and how to put a plate together and how to run a food class. Let Us Entertain is a great company in that way in that um, they teach you wonderful systems and methods so that you can really run your business and make it profitable. Or if it's not profitable, figure out a way to fix it or that it's time to close it down if it's not going to work. Were you, I'm, I'm guessing you were mostly back of the house, so you might not have seen or heard a lot. Well, in the beginning I um, at Lettuce, I worked um, with the chef directly as one of his sous chefs. And one of my extra side jobs to make extra money was I do service bar during the day and to, yeah. during lunch push and dinner push. So I was a little bit back end front. It, Lettuce is where I met my future business partners for the my first set of business partners that I had when we first moved to California. That's a question I have for you. In 1980, you moved to California. How did you choose California? You could have moved anywhere. I didn't really choose it. I had left Chicago, and I'd met these two characters, Bill and Bill, and I left to go home and practice French and move to France and really learn food for French food. And meanwhile, Bill and Boom moved to California because they were sick of Chicago winters. 
And they got a job in San Francisco and called me and said, hey, the plane ticket's in the mail. You're going to come out and help us open this restaurant. And that's how that started and how I got out here. And about seven months later, my cousins drove my stuff out because I just flew out to help them open it. I didn't plan on staying. Ah. And then I never left. I moved out to the wine country in um, 80, and I became the a chef at Meadowood for Harlan's Backer on Montgomery. Yeah, that was amazing that you were the opening chef at Meadowood, and then you opened Mustards, your fantastic restaurant that's been, I guess it's been open now for nearly 40 years now. Yeah, 38 years this last June, so it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Bill and Bill always said we were going to open our own restaurant, and finally it happened with mustards. So that was great. And then we opened Fog City Diner and Bix and Roti and Buckeye and a bunch of Panorama Baking. We did a we had a good run, and then our partnership kind of wore out. And you made some yeah. adjustments. Yeah, and now I have a wonderful partner that I've had for like eighteen, nineteen years, Sean Knight. Oh, he yeah, he's he, fabulous. Bella. He's been super. I've always known that my strengths are in the kitchen, and I'm an okay, maybe a little bit better than okay business person. But I like that dynamic of Bill and Bill and Sean and I. I like that other person, you know, to checks and balances. Right, and bounce to, things off of. And, right. And, and, and accountability. Not, right, and not to have to carry the whole load yourself. You can really focus on what you're good at. And they can focus at what they're good at. And then you can kind of go, wait, you're going left or I'm going right or where are we going? I like that synergy. Yeah. It's, yeah, a good team. Sean in particular is a better match for me mm-hmm. than Bill and Bill, where Bill and Bill got us to where we could get to. They were very driven. All I ever really wanted was a restaurant and helped me keeping, polishing it, making it better, moving it forward. You know, um, and he's the future. Yeah. Because I'm not going to live forever and I'm probably not going to work forever. Right. So he's been very much, you know, I like, I'd like mustards to last forever. Or yeah, for absolutely. It's like an institution in the Napa Valley. I mean, you yeah, have to go to mustards. It's funny too, because, you know, as a chef, you're very creative and you want to change everything every season. And, there's things on that menu that if I change, I get in big trouble. <laughs> I believe it. You know, those onion rings can't seem to go anywhere. You know, like, really? really? You guys are still eating them? You really have to have cabbage in the middle of summer with the pork chop? Wouldn't a green vegetable be better? But no, it has to be red cabbage. That's because <laughs> the, there's go. those are people's go-to items on your menu. So they have fond memories of eating those dishes, and so they want to they they want to come back for for that particular. Dish. Well, that's actually the most wonderful part about being a chef is that you're a part of people's lives. You know, there's people that come in on certain days and have certain things. There's people that come in, and it's just I love that watching part about how people work and how they function and what they think. You know, the people that come in and have lemon-lime tart first, so they have room for it. I bet you've seen you them know? over the years, for sure. Oh, yeah. there's. I probably should have taken better notes. <laughs> <laughs> probably. It probably would make for a fantastic book. <laughs> it doesn't mean yeah. you can't start now. 
I think it's really funny, you know, one of the books we've always talked about doing is because there's so many different people in the back with educational skills and language skills. And there's been so many very funniest, funny labels that a lot of chefs have talked about just doing a label of things they've found, you know, a book of labels in their walk-in. Like you come in in the morning and you go to find out what's in this container. You're like, well, what does this mean? (laughs) Well, getting back to your career, I've got to ask, was there a mentor through the course of your career that really took you under their wings, so to speak? Or did you, are you just completely (laughs) self-taught? No, God, no. There's a woman named Lois Lee who ran the cooking shop. And had the pot and pan shop in the front and the cooking school in the back. And that's where I was when I was really young. I think I started taking her classes when I was eight or nine. And then eventually became her assistant in the kitchen, setting up for the cooking classes. And she did cool things like have different cookbook authors as they would come through Minnesota. And I got to meet Julia Child there and Simone Beck and Michael Field. Oh, no, I'm very... Uh, I'm just very curious. I love learning. That's part of why I like this career. I love to read cookbooks. So Julia's always been a mentor. Lois and Verna were mentors. They told me I was too little to be a chef. So, of course, oh, isn't I had that to ridiculous? Do it to no, it's just the way it was. This is, we're talking in the 60s. Right. People didn't have this, it was a different time, you know? And yes, it was ridiculous, but it motivated me. Um, Gabino, the chef at the pump room, was an incredible mentor bill and bill had their bright spots sean's a really good you know he reminds me of things and keeps me going on track but i i love watching other chefs and seeing what they're doing and how they're doing it and why i love traveling and seeing how people eat in different parts of the world i'm guessing that's where you get your inspiration well that the garden i mean being in a garden being in the walk and you're like what are you gonna do with this you know um, so it's a lot of different places, cookbooks, people, experiences, notebooks. I miss my journals, you know, they all burned up oh, in the and that was one of the places I often, I could grab a book from the seventies or the eighties or the nineties. I had all these journals of what I've cooked and they're all gone, but I used to, and it's seasonality too. Just about the time you're like, oh, I've had enough tomatoes. It's, they're gone. You know, and just about the time you've had enough celery root and root vegetables, they're gone and it's asparagus season. And I love that part of the motivation of cooking and chefing. What's the hardest part about being a chef or a restaurateur? Well, it's physically hard. Right. As I age, that's become more of a, a challenge. A note. Yeah. And then it's, you really should have a degree in psychology because it's a people <laughs> business. There's customers, there's employees, there's purveyors. It's all about people and making everybody on the right page at the right time. Would you do it all over again? In a heartbeat. I might take better care of myself. <laughs> I'll bet you've taken you know, pretty good care of yourself. Come on. Yeah, I can see where my feet could have used more TLC. (laughs) (laughs) I could have put them up. They would be happier now. Well, you're probably taking care of them now and and making up for it. Right. Hindsight is 20-20. Yes. Top 
moment of your career so far? You've got a couple of nice awards under your belt. Yeah. I suppose the James Beard Award, because when I was a young punk in Minneapolis, line cook, um, there was a snowstorm, and he was doing a book tour of his pasta book, and he came in to dinner at the restaurant that I was cooking at, and I was one of like two people that got in to cook. And so I went out, and I thanked him for his books and told him I wished that I was uh, better at English and writing because I'd love to write cookbooks. And he goes, you keep cooking like this. You'll be writing books and winning awards. And then for Mustard's cookbook, I got a James Beard Award. So it was the most thrilling and kind of like, oh, my God, he knew. Because that was quite, quite a motivation. Yes, to have for him. sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that was a full cycle thing. But every single one of them have been, you know, heartwarming and encouraging they kind of keep you going seems like you always get them at a low point too to you know something's been really hard and then boom you get a credit for doing good things there's a writer that I loved he's since passed Jim Harrison and one of the biggest thrills I was reading his book Delva and he talks about a meal at mustards and I'm like oh my god that was Jim Harrison I remember him sitting there and it was just this like full circle thing. I just was so surprised that there I was in his book. Oh, that's wonderful. And you just stumbled upon it? Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't met him. I just remembered this table where they ordered everything on the menu. But I mean, you stumbled upon the article that, that referenced... It was in his book. I was yeah. a fan of his writing and I was just reading one of his books. When I'm in bed one night screaming, going, look, look, we're in <laughs> So, oh my gosh, I would have been—I would have been calling everybody I knew. Yeah, said, I did. Oh my gosh, I'm in this book. I had no idea. Yeah, and then one time in town, you know, in Saint Helena, it's small. Yeah, and I'll never forget this. But I was at the cameo, and I love the cameo. I think it was under the Tuscan sun oh, was yes. in the home. Mm-hmm. And at one point, she pulls a Fog City Diner cookbook out of a box. She's oh. unpacking. And the entire theater pointed at the screen and said, Cindy, look, there's your book. It's just like, <laughs> such a small town kind of thing. It like, is. Oh, my God, it is my book. You know? just, That's super cool. But other cool. people knew I was in the theater, and it was just so funny. Well, <laughs> you deserve all of that and more. It's funny what happens in life you don't, that you don't expect, you know? Yes, that's true. That's true. And sometimes those are the best moments. Yep. Thanksgiving is approaching. I've got to ask, what's the key to making a successful Thanksgiving dinner? What's what's a tip well, or two that you can give our listeners? Well, this year, for the first time, my stepson's going to do it. So being off the hook is a great trick. <laughs> for sure. Pull that off. Um, I always think less is more. You know, everybody has to do everything, but get everyone to bring something. You know, have have somebody signed to the roll, somebody assigned to the cranberry sauce. You know, spread it out. Because to me, what's fun about Thanksgiving, it's a lot of people. It's all about food. And there's no presence or any of that kind of pressure. Right. So if you can delegate things to people that you, you know, they're coming. And then if it's a small group, don't just do a few things really well, you know? Like if it's just six people, maybe do a chicken, 
a big chicken, you know, a capon. Don't do a whole turkey. Or if you do a whole turkey, you know, get a smaller one. Don't, don't, do you have to have stuffing and potatoes and sweet potatoes? You know, every year you can do a little bit different. What's the one dish that you have to have? The cranberries. I don't know why. And how do you like your cranberries prepared? Oh, I like to put them with red wine and ginger. Mm, that's best. A little black pepper. Make a little kind of a jammy, a little sugar, you know, and kind of a jammy, spicy, sweet and sour kind of thing. I think that's, I like, I don't, it's the only time of the year I do cranberries. And I think that's why I enjoy them so much because it's a, something I don't have often. I'm not a huge turkey fan. I don't know why. I, I like guinea hen and duck and goose squab quail better. Maybe because the they're um, a fat, they're fattier. Well, also because turkeys are so big. And well, it seems yes. like there's always, I'm eating turkey for a week then afterwards. <laughs> for sure. So then I'm, then I'm done with it, you know, whereas a little quail or a little squab or a part of a duck or a part of a goose, it's like, oh, this is wonderful. And then it's gone. Right. You don't have to live with it forever. Yeah. Because I hate wasting, you know. And I do think turkey bones make one of the best stocks in the world. Mm. And I, I like the dark meat. I'm always more of a dark meat fan than a light meat fan. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. As we shift our conversation onto your personal life, what does Thanksgiving mean to you? Well, it's just like the success of the year. It's all the good things. It's like, okay, we got this in the garden. We've got, you know, we often do in our family a lot of the, I do a lot of canning and preserves. And we've always been big gardeners. Even when I was a kid, I learned that from my parents. And so, you know, that's when we open the jars of apple butter and quince paste and, mm-hmm. you know, the marmalade's coming up soon. So I'm always thankful as a chef for all the foods that we get to play with and work with. You know, being in the Napa Valley, it's chef heaven. Oh, for sure. Yes. And that's one thing. And then, you know, my husband's a great eater. <laughs> and I'm always very thankful for that. And he's very appreciative. He doesn't take it for granted that he's married to a chef every meal is like oh my god look at this you know it's like write this one you gotta do this one again it's like well (laughs) Well, that's wonderful because he'll give you his honest feedback yeah oh yeah and there's times when it's neither one of us like it it's it's not good enough it's good it's edible or you know but we have these different ratings as i mentioned earlier you moved to California in 1980 and uh, quickly landed in the Napa Valley. Where do you live now in the Napa Valley? We live in St. Helena. Oh, you do? Okay. Okay. We recently bought a house in town. We used to live out on the trail, right. but it burned the last fire, so now we're in town. Well, there's advantages to that. You get to walk to everything. Yeah, no, I'm not complaining at all. It's just different. It's just different. It's very different. It's much more social. Well, that's good. You know, I used to 
walk the dogs in the woods and you know there was no one to talk to but i'd see woodpeckers once in a while now every every time i'm walking the dog i'm saying hi to someone and it's fun and i think it's very important to us for our mental health to have a change and to be starting fresh in a new way in a new place than to be trying to rebuild and make you know this very recreate well yeah well the the property is is not what it was and it won't be anywhere near what it was for quite for some time our life. yeah we're older and i don't think it would be there's too many memories of it as a wonderful way and now it's changed so much right and i think it's better for us to be someplace it's a new place for yes. us a fresh beginning uh, yeah right to because there's a terror there's a fear there's but there's some advantages up there like the view is much better now all these trees are gone it's like there's we still have the property there's a lot you know maybe make it a campsite i don't know i haven't figured right. it out yet talking about your house in saint helena which i i love saint helena i lived there for about 10 years if we took a step inside it what would we see what's your decorating style Oh, this is too soon. You know, we really just bought it a couple months ago. And because we were living in a rented furnished home, we asked the previous owners if they would sell us this house furnished, furnished, excuse me. And they did because it was their second home and they were downsizing. So they didn't want to deal with the furniture. So it looks like somebody else's house. No, not in a bad way necessarily. They had good taste, very high quality. You know, everything is very nice. It's just I wouldn't say it's necessarily our style, but it's the the wonderfulness is that it's giving us time to really think, okay, what do we want? You know, how do we want things? I'm going to redo part of the kitchen because the counters are at 37 and I'm sure it's lower. So I mean, but it's having this wonderful time of being able, I mean, because we literally moved in with a couple of suitcases of clothes. So we would have been sleeping on the floor, you know, trying to figure out beds and stuff. So it's been a real silver lining that we got it. A furnished place. Yeah. And so it's, it's not bad at all. Um, it's just not necessarily how I would design. Do you know what I mean? Right. So to answer your question, it doesn't look like me yet. Right. It's, yes, I understand. Too soon. Um, so when you're not working and not walking through your garden, what are you doing? Do you have a hobby? Do you collect something? Um, I collect cookbooks. Well, yeah. So that's been started. <laughs> Um, I, How many I, do you have now since you lost your collection? Well, we probably have several hundred. Oh, good. I got, I got quite a few, and um, I donated some to the St. Helena Public Library and the, and the um, UC Davis libraries because I couldn't handle them all. Right. There's like this house in for of all the people to buy a house. I bought a house without any bookshelves in it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have them all in boxes in the basement and I went through really carefully every single book because it was such a treasure that people had been so generous and then picked ones that I really, really wanted to have and would use. But there were many that I knew I wouldn't use because it's hard. It's, so kind of people but it's you collect books because they mean something to you personally exactly exactly and you know i you know there was 
books that were on things that I just aren't me. Right. They weren't the books. They just weren't the right ones. So what's one or two of your favorite cookbooks in your existing collection? Well, I have this, you know, love for Richard Only and Jane Gregson and Elizabeth David and Claudia Rodin. Those are some of my favorite authors. And I was very lucky to receive books by all those different authors. So I'm very in heaven about that. Yeah, those are, I mean, I was very lucky. You know, we didn't die we missed a lot of the stuff that we had, but, you know, we had good insurance and, you know, we have good friends and I have a good business partner in Sean. He's really been helpful on a personal front, getting us through this, helping us find a place to live and all sorts of things. He's gone above and beyond the business relationship. We've, we've always kind of been friends though, I think. You know, and I think that's part of why it works so well. So well, right. We're in wine country. I have to ask, what do you like to drink at home? Are you a wine girl or do you like the occasional cocktail or beer? Well, I I like dark beer when I have, like when I have sauerkraut and spare ribs, to me, you have to have beer. That's my mom always served. <laughs> when you have certain Mexican dishes, I want a dark beer. Um, Irish food, oysters, brown bread, and a Guinness is a great combination of flavors. Um, Cocktails, yes. My husband makes this one called La Marguerite, which is like a French margarita with lillet in it. It's really good. Um, But we tend to do those more in the summer when we're out by the pool or outdoors if we don't have a pool. And um, we do drink a fair amount of wine, probably way more than we should, but we enjoy it. I tend to be drinking more whites and rosés in the summer and reds in the winter, I guess. I'm a seasonal drinker like that. I don't know how else you'd describe me. Depends on what I'm eating a lot. You're versatile. How about that? Yeah. And we have a new habit. Our house has a porch, and so we sit on the porch and have a glass of wine and talk about the day. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you? I know I learned a few surprises along the way. <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering if there's something something else, some hidden That's a hard secret question that not too many I don't people think, know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not very surprising. And all these you know years of being in public eye, I feel like they know everything about me. I'm sure there's something and something in your childhood. Some, or do you skydive? Um... No, God, no. I'm a chicken. <laughs> I definitely don't skydive. When you were a child, did you play spin the bottle and do something daring? I don't know. <laughs> My mom's laundry sink was always full of animals, you know, salamanders and slugs and turtles and whatever we could find in the two ponds behind our house. We were always getting into animals i don't know what's surprising about me well i know what how about you're a potter oh yeah i love to make pots and plates and the restaurant's the perfect thing because they break them so i have to make more I, i find it interesting that you have time to do that well you just have to make time in life right right that's the whole trick that is true What's the thing if they want, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person? That's true. One more question I have. Is there a trip that you've taken 
that has great meaning that you can share? We did Fog City Diners in Japan. Hmm. And I met a gentleman that was a big wig in this big company. And, you know, here's this Japanese man that's high up in a billion-dollar company. And here's this funky chef girl from Minnesota. But I've always liked Japanese food and Japanese art and stuff. And we just hit it off. And we've always stayed friends. And he... And his wife just celebrated the year before COVID. They celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And he invited my husband and I to come to Japan oh, and be a part of the celebration. And then he took us all around to his favorite spas and restaurants and Rokens. And oh my God, it was like to die for a trip. Oh, how fantastic. Yeah. It was like, if, you know, if there's any kind of food that you particularly like, and then the genius of that food just picks you up and takes you there and takes you to all the places that inspire them. That's what the trip was like. It was just wonderful. And sounds just amazing. Yeah. It just was just amazing. Perfect. And then another time we went on a trip to Piemonte in Italy and did white truffles in Umbria. Oh, yeah, that, that would be great. Mind-blowing and stellar. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I think that would be interesting with the dogs. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, with the dogs. But even just being there at the time of the year and going to the festival where they're all oh, out and you can buy them. And just the whole this, scent and the, yeah, the this, other things around. Aroma. Uh, yeah. yeah. It would be incredible. And I tend to travel in the fall. I like game. I like all the fall foods, you know, hunting, and mm-hmm. I love Scotland and grouse and all that wonderful, yummy stuff. Mm. I think you'd be so much fun to go traveling with. Just be ready to gain 10 pounds. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> maybe half a trip with. <laughs> well, Cindy, uh, I like to wrap things up with five quick questions. They're really lighthearted, so... I hope you'll play along. First question is, what kind of car do you drive? Oh, a Lexus. Okay. SUV. What's your favorite flower? Roses. Old English ones that have scent and lots of thorns. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite actor or actress? What was, that woman, oh God, she's brilliant. She was in Harry Potter. Oh, um, I won't know. Professor McGonagall. And she's in Downton Abbey as the old dowager. Oh. I cannot think of her name for the life of me. Yeah, she is a great actress. What is wrong with my brain? I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, well, we kind of know who who you're talking about. Yeah, I just can't remember her name. I remember her characters. There's a lot I like, though. That's just the first one that came to my mind. That's Okay. Who's one of your favorite singers? That's Kelly O'Connor. She's an opera singer. Okay. And tell us a few things that are in your nightstand. In my nightstand, there's a book I'm reading right now. What is it? Called Facing the Mountain. It's about the Japanese internment camps and World War II and the 442nd, which is very bizarre because I'm not a history buff. But I've my um, husband's aunt and uncle and cousins are in it. 
fascinating. You learn about the Japanese internment in school. So it's been wonderful to learn about this horrific thing that happened in our history. And um, his uncle was a, a chaplain for the 442nd, and he's quoted quite a lot throughout the book. And it's very interesting. And what? Not a history person. I'm a food and art person, so I've learned a lot because it's written really well, and I cannot, off the top of my head, remember the author's name. But the book is called Facing the Mountain. What else is in your nightstand? This ointment that's really good for arthritis pain relief <laughs> um, that I get at the pharmacy. Um, what else is up there? Always a. a uh, a tumbler that has a top on it so I don't spill it full of ice water. My vitamins, I take them first thing in the morning. There you go. Lamp, there's a lamp. <laughs> Look, she's <laughs> like, there's <laughs> a lamp. <laughs> but that book, that book that book is a staple for sure. That's it. It's on my nightstand. Well, I think that sounds good. Sounds like a nice collection of items. And you have been a delight to chat with today. I can't thank you enough for your time, Cindy. Well, thanks for thinking of me, Michelle. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.